G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. The mission with the Brain Taming Podcast is to raise a million dollars, and that all starts with uh, building an audience and a platform. So thank you for tuning in. Our goal is to raise a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe. With that said, strap in and enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're chatting with a two-time Olympian and four-time World Cup gold medalist, uh, plus a long list of other accomplishments along the way, professional snowboarder, Bal Brockoff. Bal, thanks for joining me today for a chat. Thanks for having me. You've, uh, you've carved out a pretty impressive career already, and your resume speaks volumes to what you've been able to produce in your field. And we're going to talk about that today, of course, the world of snowboarding. Um, but your story hasn't been without its challenges. You've had to work through some setbacks and some, some pretty nasty injuries, uh, including a couple of ACLs, if I'm not mistaken, which we'll talk about. Um, and you've had to work through some struggles with anxiety and, and depression, and I think you've been pretty open with that, um, which we'll unpack a bit today as well. So I think the chat will be really interesting and valuable for people listening to hear about your story, uh, not only the process and the mindset you've adopted to get to where you are now as a professional athlete, but then, of course, how you've approached the challenges that you've come up against in sport and and in life. But to kick things off, uh, just a bit of a fun one. I must say I'm curious as to how one gets into snowboarding. I always <laughs> see signs for the local footy club or netball club to come down and train and, you know, you inevitably join the club as a youngster and kind of go from there. But for you, I'm a little bit ignorant, so please uh, <laughs> give us the the snapshot of how you got into the sport in the first place. Yeah, so like I, I would have loved to not do footy or, or cricket or soccer um, growing up, but I had I was a, away from most of those clubs. So like I grew up in Byron Bay, um, and you know I got into surfing um, and all that sort of stuff. And then we moved down to Dramana um, and lived on a farm for twelve years. So I was kind of like away from the whole social scene, the different clubs, um, like sporting clubs and whatnot. Um, but my my family had a big history and snow sports so they um you know my aunt my great aunt Joyce Brockhoff she had a lot to do with getting women into skiing in Australia and my uncle Peter Brockhoff also went to two Olympic games one Olympic games he didn't compete at because one of his mates um his best mates passed away at a in a training lap and then my parents um my great-grandfather um he helped basically start up the lifts at Mount Buller um, and we had one of the original skiing huts where the Mount Buller Chalet is right now, way back yeah. in the day. Um, and we've still got the skis and the old skins that used to put onto the bottom of the skis and walk up the hill. So a bit of family history there. And I've just been- You almost, almost didn't have a choice. Yeah, no, I, I was thrown into <laughs> it, uh, which is which is cool. Like I started skiing when I was three. I loved it so much that uh, <laughs> when, when I, you know, go out to do ski school, I didn't want to miss a second of it. So, you know- when I when I needed to go to the bathroom, I kind of just peed my pants, um, and uh, <laughs> mum wasn't too impressed. But uh, I was, you know, I was just really young. And I just, <laughs> I just want to keep going nonstop. Well, well, funnily enough, I peed my pants the first time I snowboarded, but probably for different reasons. I was just scared to <laughs> go flying, flying down the hill at 
concerning speeds. Yeah, well, <laughs> how old are you then? <laughs> oh, I was a grown man. I was about 22. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've only, I've, look, admittedly, I've only been to the snow a few times and it is awesome. It's a load of fun. Um, and I had an amazing time. And look, at the same time, I pretty quickly started thinking, fuck, it's cold. I, I kind of want to go back to the cabin and, you know, get to the fireplace and relax. Um, but for you, you kind of touched on it there. Is it something that you, you pretty quickly fell in love with? Yeah, no, it was. And like, um, you know, I'm skiing since I was three years old. And then um, my mum got a snowboard when I was about nine years old. And I got really jealous. Um, so she made a deal with me, like, you know, get, get to the highest level in ski school, which is level one black kangaroos. Right, and okay. I got a snowboard the next year and then just went out first chairlift of the day till the very last chairlift of the day. I was gone out every single day for the whole season for years. Um, and I picked up snowboarding very quickly because of that. And, yeah, have a look back since. Won a few so, ski school races and thought I was pretty good. So <laughs> Very nice. Well, good thing you followed that pursuit. What does yeah. that process look like then to go from, you know, from a three-year-old having fun out in the snow? Um, you mentioned there the, the black kangaroos, level one. Uh, what does that snapshot look like to go from kind of getting into the sport to start with to ultimately, you know, going to become a, an Olympic athlete and, and win a win a World Cup? You just have to love it. Well, that's that's with any sort of sport or any sport, any career, you have to love it. Um, and then from there, you know, you have your main goal, which you want to achieve, and then you kind of work backwards uh, with steps to get there. Um, but even then, like the, like my sport board across, um, it started picking up quite a bit when I was around 13, 14 years old. Um, and then, you know, our, our programs are, are relatively new as well. Like I'm only female. Um, now there's a few females coming through, but I'm only a female at the time. I'm coming through the sport and, you know, trying to find the right gear, the right coaching, the right programs. So it was a lot of back and forth um, because it hadn't been really done before. Um, and the first guy who got a world champ win was – Alex Chappie-Pullen, who um, sadly passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, you know, he was the first and he, he's 32 years old, so it's still quite new. Um, yeah. So it's just about like, you know, if you really want it, you have the passion for it, you'll find a way to get there. Yeah, that's that's huge. Like I, I pretty much jam that message down the throat of my listeners or just, you know, people I have conversations with, that idea that, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to, and I'm sure you'd attest to this, it's pretty hard to, perform at the highest levels and continue to perfect your craft and put in all the hours required to get better and better unless you do love what you do. Um, and it has to be something intrinsically rewarding about the actual doing of the work. And I know you'd, you know, you'd have some ups and downs along the way and some times where you just you can't be asked, but you, you put in the work. Um, there has to be some sort of enjoyment in the process or you'll just it'll just quit um, or it's just not worth it, right, if it's, um, if it's all pain. So, so for you, did you find that you had early wins with the sport, you obviously fell in love with it pretty quickly. Um, you had the, you know, the family history. Was it something that you were immediately an absolute jet at, or is it like was it also an element of deliberate practice to get better and better um, and overcome challenges and weaknesses? Yeah, look, when I was a little kid, like I'd always um, climb up trees and and kind of and balance along the beams of the. the um, arms of the trees and I used to also race boys and, and wrestle with them. So I was really a tomboy. Like my grandma said I should have been a boy. <laughs> um, but that's what I would normally do. And like that kind of carried across to snowboarding, that sort of body awareness. And I picked up snowboarding quite quickly because of my, um, you know, I had a higher skill in, in balancing. Um, and then that concentrated training, um, first lift to last lift every single day added up 
Um, and eventually, you know, I made it to Victorian interschools and then went on to win the Australian interschool nationals a couple of weeks later after starting snowboarding. Um, so I, I was lucky enough to find that, that my talent and, and, and my passion straight away as a kid. Um, yeah, I love that. And then I just stuck to it. And, you know, that first day that I picked up a snowboard, I said to my mum, I'm going to the Olympics for snowboarding. I don't know which event it's going to be, but I'm going to go. Um, and eventually I actually started focusing on a different discipline in snowboarding. It's called Alpine GS snowboarding, which is like the foundations okay. of snowboarding. Um, and I started focusing on that when I was 14, so specializing in that in 14. Um, and I'd go overseas with my parents and, you know, I'd do the training season over there because that's what you have to do. And then I had to make the switch to border cross because – my parents said, you know what, this is really expensive. You need to get some funding. Um, and if you don't, we're not going to fund you anymore. So when I was 19, I made the switch to border cross and then that's what I've been doing. Very cool. And so you're, if I'm not mistaken, number two in the world. And is that right? And what is, yeah. how does that, how does that come about? Like what's that, um, is that based on um, like championships or like a certain number of races? What does that look like? Yeah. So we have the world tour, which goes from December till March. Um, in that time frame, we have multiple World Cups um, in different locations uh, with different courses each time. So it's, it's really cool. Um, and we just kind of follow those races around. And after each race, you uh, rank up points. Um, and then when you finish up overall number two or number one or number three, it's because you've had the most points as well, number one, or second most amount of points. So you basically want to do as well as possible um, and that means basically getting up on the World Cup podium every single race. So I managed to, my, my, my worst result was fourth place. Um, and to be honest, I, I didn't think I'd go as well as I did. I definitely thought I'd get some podiums, but I didn't think I'd get um, almost every World Cup a podium mm. because I'd, I'd been out of the sport for two years. I've been knee, knee rehabbing, uh, two knee injuries. Um, so it's been a long road and I didn't think that uh, I'd get up there as quickly as I thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk about that actually. So you've done, so you've done the knee twice, have you? Is yeah. The same knee? Twice. Same knee. Uh, my, yeah. my right knee. Yeah. Okay. So then, so yeah. Okay. Talk me through a snapshot of some of the injuries you've had. I imagine you've probably had a few over the years. Yeah. The knees would be a couple of serious ones. Have you had any others along the way? So I've had probably around eight concussions, um, one where I've KO'd myself when I was 15 years old, and that was on skis. That wasn't even on snowboard. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. I've torn – I've had minor tears in my quads, both of them. Um, I've had a rolled my ankle bad enough that it's swelled up to have like a big tennis ball-like swelling on my ankle. Uh, which we actually never checked out. It just eventually healed by itself. Um, um, Let nature run its course. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah basically. Um, and a few others. I mean, I've had a few little niggles here and there, um, but the ACL would have been the biggest one. Um, so then, how do you how do you bounce back from that? Like, it's pretty easy to throw in the towel, um, you know, after even just one or two. Uh, nasty injury so mm. for you obviously part of it's just loving what you do but then to kind of come back you know get yourself into the um and win some of these titles that you've been able to win you know um have that spot of number two in the world like has there been a, a process for you with the rehab or is it, is it a mindset thing that helps you kind of bounce back from those 
setbacks because I think some like it's on paper it looks great. You see someone goes through the injury and then they bounce back and it's a great slower. <laughs> but at the time it's fucking hard, as you I'm sure could attest to. How do you not um yeah, how do you not throw in the towel and, and continue plowing away at your craft? Yeah, look, I think it's different for everyone. For me for me it was just focusing on the big picture and remembering my why, why mm. I do the sport. Um and look, look, if you don't love the sport, um, injuries are a great, great way, not to say that you should go through an injury, but it's a great way to, for someone to figure out whether they truly love the sport or they're just doing it because, you know, they've got talent in it and they're just doing it because people said they should do it. Um, you know, I, I got close to – I mean, there's a lot um, – I've been quite a few times where I was like, yeah, I'm going to throw in the towel, but I just can't remind myself of it and – I got close because the rehab's really fucking boring. Yeah. Um, you're by yourself most of the time because the other athletes are on their different program. You end up doing long hours in the gym and you just have to keep yourself motivated. And that's your whole that – you're responsible for your motivation. It's all you. That's the beauty of sport. It's so harsh. Like if you don't put in the work, you'll never get there ever. It doesn't matter what kind of talent you have. Talent doesn't mean shit when you're on the world stage because everyone's got talent. Mm. And it's whatever extra that you put in, whatever outside thinking, outside of the box that you put in, it'll reflect in your performance. Um, so, you know, initially the first after the first knee injury, I was in the gym for four hours straight. Um, so I was having snacks halfway through to keep my energy up and whatnot, um, and then icing seven times a day. I was rehabbing five times a day uh, with a main session in the gym, and that was every day. Monday to Sunday, no breaks. It was just head down, bum up, <laughs> um, and just go, go, go until I got back on snow. And, you know, I relied on motivation. I read books. I looked at things that I needed to work on. Um, so it, it was quite the opportunity. And it took me a long time to realize that this injury was an opportunity to get better. And if I look back, I would never, if I had to choose, I would never say, oh, I would prefer to go without the injury because I could have achieved more. No, I would take the injury any day because it's taught me so much and it's reflected in myself as a person and as an athlete. Um, so it's really yeah, just is- about, you know, that person deciding that this is going to be really um, beneficial to them. That's huge. Yeah, I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear, Bell. I just want to jump through the mic. That's um, There's a lot there, you know, we could we could unpack, but we've got a short oh, yeah. bit of time to, to chat. Um, but that, that's huge. Some key messages there, like that idea of you are responsibility, you are responsible for your motivation. And look, that might, that might you know, might be coaches and people around you as a support network for sure, but ultimately it falls on you. And that sense of ownership and, and retaining a sense of agency is, I think, you know, really, really empowering. Yeah. Um, mm. So just I wanted to talk about belief with you, right? So mm. this, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on this. So from a really practical standpoint, I think that having a sense of confidence that what you what you do will work or that it will matter or or bear some fruit of some sorts is a crucial variable for pretty much anything we do, right? So for example, it's going to be pretty hard to get into shape or, or start a business or cultivate a new skill or habit or get into snowboarding or sport, whatever and get really, really good at it unless you believe that you can do it and that it will pay off, right? Mm -hmm. So for yourself, the interesting parallel I want to draw is, you know, you're flying down mountains at some pretty concerning speeds and dodging and weaving and (laughs) turning and doing all the crazy stuff that you do. I could only dream of doing. just looks super fucking cool on, you know, on video. Um, 
I imagine you need to be pretty confident that you're capable of performing at that level um, when you're about to compete. So for you, how important is it to have that confidence in your ability when you're about to compete? And then what helps give you that confidence? Is it the is it the training you've put in? Is it you know is your mindset, the books you've read? Like what's um, how have you kind of cultivated that, that confidence that you? I imagine you would need. Well, for me, like I used to get really caught up in comparing myself to the other girls on tour. Um, and that, for me, that took away a lot of the focus that I could have put into bettering myself. Um, and it was only after the injury where I started focusing on myself and, and focusing on things I need to work on purely that, um, like I would f- refuse to look at every other girl on tour and I'd only look at the guys, the best, the very best guys on tour and I'd use them as a gauge of where I need to be and what I need things I need to work on because they're naturally they're 10% faster, stronger um, compared to us girls. You, know, you can see it in the time trials. So I each day I would, you know, set out a goal list uh, each time we went out for training um, and I would repeat that until I could do it without thinking, whether it's a certain move, pulling out the start gates, certain aggression here or there, um, anything technical. And I know for a fact the more you repeat something, the more your body becomes used to that. Um, so when you do compete, you naturally fall back on that quite easily without thinking. Because when you're competing, you don't want to be thinking about, oh, I need to do this move here, or oh, I need to do this there, or oh, I need to work out watch out for this person. You just want to get into that state of flow. Um, and I know if you talk to a lot of athletes, they talk about state of flow where – there's like there's nothing in your mind. You're in this state of calm and contentness, and things just happen because you're in that state, and it's amazing. Um, and you feel that when you start getting to that top end level of your sport, um, it's a pretty incredible feeling. Um, so tapping into that helps with my self belief, um, and also telling myself. And it's something that I, I do uh, during a competition before I head out. I put on all my gear. And then I look at myself in the mirror and I give myself a conversation. I give myself a pep talk and I say to myself that I am the best. That's basically what I says. And I say to myself, I'm going to win this. And that reinforces in my head that I am the best um, and that I can achieve those things. I will never say um, I can to myself, you know, you can win this because that's half-assed already. Um, I'd say I am, I will. Um, they're the most powerful things that you can say to yourself. There you go, listeners, the psychology of a winner. Yeah. <laughs> I, fucking, I fucking love that so much. Um, and I, it's funnily enough that you mentioned Flow. I actually literally just finished a book, Flow, by I think it's Mihai Csikszentmihalyi or something, whatever his, oh, yep, yep. Whatever his name is, and, and literally just describing similar, um, a similar experience, right? So I think for people who, whether it's in sport or life or whatever, if you can get into that state of flow, it's pretty fucking magical. And yeah. you can execute at the highest levels. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Like if you look at um, boxing, and I, I train boxing um, as part of my one percenters that I'm looking oh, yeah. for. Um, if you look at boxing, look at the boxes, the pro boxes. You can't like no one. If you, if you like, someone throws a punch at you, and they're, and they're a professional boxer, you won't be able to dodge it simply because you're not conditioned to. Those guys are so conditioned to, you know, reading someone's movements that they can move without thinking because if you think about it in which way you want to move you'll you'll get hit in the face yeah. those guys move by reaction um 
and, and, and just like your natural ability, that state of flow. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I reckon what's really cool as well is that, like you mentioned, um, like being able to condition your body so that you can do it automatically almost. I reckon that is a, it's something that a lot of people miss. And admittedly, I have over the years in, you know, different endeavors, whether it's business or, you know, sport or whatever. Um, and there's like this, I think it's Maslow's, no, um, I'm speaking out of depth here, but basically there's this concept of like the four levels of competence. And I think what you're describing is that unconscious competence where like mm. you are good at it and you don't have to think. It's just this effortless flow um because uh you've put in the out you put in the work and you've like you said you've conditioned your body um and your you, the um uh, the your brain to to know what to do um i think that's where people fall short they want that experience without actually putting in the work to condition themselves to get to get good yeah and you have to put in the work i mean there's so many people in the world that are putting in the work um you have to mm. just have want it more than other people and it's not just you know doing the reps it's just doing quality of reps because you're, if you're training 80% all the time, then your fallback is just going to be 80%. You know, on a bad day, it might be lower. Um, so if you're training smart and, you know, pushing yourself and, and getting that percentage up every day on average, then your fallback on a shit day is going to be a lot higher than probably all the other competitors. 1,000%. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Hey, you um, you mentioned the, like the pep talk that you give yourself. Are there any other strategies that you have to to keep your mind right, whether it is sport or outside the you know the snow arena? Um, like, do you listen to music? Is there anything that you have? Is there a couple of things that you have as like go tos to keep you in the zone or or get you up and about when you need to? I really enjoy like in terms of getting in the zone and out of the zone with sport. Like, I enjoy. Um, getting my head completely out of the, sp- the sport in general. So mm. university studies has been awesome for that, like teaching my brain uh, to think in other ways, um, which has added value to my sport in general. Um, so, like, I'll do a unit of university when I'm on se- overseas on tour. Like, and I also enjoy a lot of photography, so I'm learning about that sort of stuff. Um, since we're travelling heaps, it's good to document those kinds of things and then showcase um, – photos and, and places to your loved ones back home. Um, in terms of getting in the zone, it, it all comes back to, you know, being happy um, and content, yes. um, which for me is, you know, having a really good sleep, having good food, getting out in the sunlight um, for at least an hour a day just to have that fresh air. And sunlight also helps good sleep as well. Um, you know, whether it's learning different things, staying in contact with different friends and family, just things that make me feel good like I'll do, yeah. So just prioritising what's going to make you feel good. I mm. love that. I'm really big on that. Like I'm all about, um, you know, optimising and, and and having goals and a North Star, um, but ultimately, you know, it's all there to service one main goal, which is to feel good at the end of the day. And so having those things in place have – has a big impact. Um, I want to change lanes a little bit here with you, Bell, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I mentioned at the top that you have had, you know, your own struggles with anxiety, depression, particularly as a, as a teenager. And um, if you don't mind sharing, talk us through a little bit about what that experience was like for you um, and just your thoughts around that that concept in general, I suppose. What impact did it have? I know people listening can relate, particularly at a time like this where everyone's cooped up at home and, you know, throughout the, the COVID pandemic. Um Mm. Yeah, well, if you could just give us a snapshot of your your kind of mental health journey, that would be very appreciated. Yeah, um, 
So it, I mean, it goes back. To, so I've, I've moved to different places um, when I was growing up. So Byron had a few different schools there, and then I had a couple of different schools when I went down from Melbourne for one year between Byron and Dramana. And then we moved down to Dramana and then we changed a few schools here and there. So I was always like the new girl, um, always trying to find new friend groups, settling in and then eventually opening up and then having to, you know, move and then start again. And then, you know, when I was younger as well, I, I was verbally and physically bullied, which wasn't great. <laughs> right. uh, and then from there, like, you know, I just got more and more depressed um, and anxious and, and worried where I wouldn't fit in and, you know, having to find new school groups and new friends. Um, and, yeah, by the time I got to 17 and 18, it got really bad where I started self-harming and then you know, got quite suicidal. Um, and, you know, the pressure of year 11 and 12 kind of got to me a little bit, uh, which wasn't great. And... I did not want to, I guess, carry on. So, you know, at that point, the only thing was really that was really keeping me going was snowboarding uh, because it gave me a lot of peace. It kept me really happy. I could see really good progress um, and it's something that I really wanted to do. Um, and I think without that, I don't think I'd be around. Yeah, well. Um, so after school, you know, I said, this is what I want to do. You know, professionally, I really want to get to the games, um, like what my 10-year-old self said to my mum, and started, you know, planning out a roadmap to achieve that. And having that structure in my life pulled me out of that depression. Um, and sometimes I have anxiety, um, yeah. but I know how to manage that now. Um, I don't have depression, which is great. Uh, I know that because, like, I'm not waking up and feeling disappointed that I woke up. Um, and I didn't have that physical pain. Uh, it's different for everyone who has depression, but I had physical pain and, you know, things inside my head that I wanted to get rid of. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like it's it's good now, but, like, man, it was horrible back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, look, I, I really appreciate you opening up and sharing that, Bell. And like I said, I, I kind of touched on it, but I think people listening can relate, certainly in some way anyway. Um, for me, you know, we're, we've only just recently connected, but um, – uh, I've had my own journey um, with going through a really bad depression as well. And I've been pretty open with that. And so it's it's just a subject matter I like to put on the table and unpack mm. and sort of help help to alleviate the stigma, I suppose. And I think yep. kind of one of the key messages like I really um, want to help drive home is the challenge I found anyway is the most sinister part of some of these mental health issues is that at the time, as I'm sure you agree, it's it's near impossible to conceptualize a world in which you're not riddled, you know, by crippling anxiety or, or debilitating depression. It's all you know at that moment. Yeah. Um, so for you to pull yourself out of that, you mentioned there sort of a couple of takeaways, I suppose, was having almost a, just a sense of purpose, which was that snowboarding. So something that gave you a sense of joy or, and had a kind of a reason behind it or a sense of purpose and then adding structure to your life. And then I think the big variable is time, right? So you have – you have structure, you have key things that you focus on, like you mentioned earlier about sleep and, you know, food and optimal nutrition, things like that that have an impact, and then having um, having a goal and then doing all that consistently over a period of time um, might be what it's required to kind of get past that and then you can start to build from there and build from there and then, you know, you go from where you are there and you shared pretty openly about the, the state you're in. Um, it's pretty nasty 
to then you know to then go on and achieve at the levels you've been able to achieve. Um, I don't know. I think it's really inspiring. It's really impressive, and hopefully, um, you know, a key message for people that um, that do connect with this show to uh, to take away if they are in a spot of bother themselves. I say, like with anything in life, you first, you may, most important thing is your mental health. Above all, it's your mental health, and once you get, you have that sorted, then you can work on your mental toughness. And then you can achieve things that you don't think you could have achieved before. Um, but mental health is the most important thing. Um, yeah, I like that. The awareness that you talked on was is super important. Uh, I think a lot of people go by day to day without thinking too much about it or who might be affected by it because you don't know. No one knows when you, you really when you have severe depression when you're in that hole because you don't want people to know that you're depressed because you're probably thinking, well, at least I thought – Oh, I don't want to bother you with my issues, so I'm not going to talk about it. You know, or they might not accept it. For for me, you know, being the new girl, I didn't want to, you know, form have close relationships with these, you know, kids because I thought, you know, I wouldn't have any friends because I had depression. So I'd just not talk about it because I was always the new girl and I wanted to fit in. Um, so that's you know, you go back to being kind to people um, with whatever it may be, and I know it's really nice now with like trolls on social media and all these different things um but for me i just try and encourage people um to not think too much don't take it to heart because they don't know you for one um and i think your friends who do know you if they had criticism for you it's most likely going to be constructive criticism you know and that's where you should take note um to make yourself better yeah, I like that. I, I, yeah, I've always thought like if you could do something, if you can't do anything about it, um, then you shouldn't care. And if you could do something about it, you shouldn't care because then it means you can just adjust and change and improve. Mm-hmm. So it's like either way, it shouldn't that sort of feedback you get. I know it's obviously easier said than done, but shouldn't have that devastating effect on our self esteem that it can have some people. And so, I mean, I wish I had all the answers, but um, I think it's just important, like you said, to be aware of it. Um, yeah, and, and know how to manage it. Um, I want to talk about the the Principle Six campaign that you were a part of, and I, I'll let you unpack it because I just I know the snapshot of it, uh, but I think it's a really cool um, idea and an interesting story. And for those listening, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Bell, it was essentially an anti it was a campaign against the anti gay laws in Russia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep. At the time you were competing in Sochi, I think that was was that two Olympics ago? Was that your first first Olympics? Would it be? Yeah, so 2014, my first Olympics. Yeah, so what was that all about? Um, so basically it was just, you know, we're trying to eliminate discrimination um, in all forms from the Olympic Games. And, you know, I, I'd just come out to the world and my parents <laughs> at that time. Right. Oh, just, re- just prior. Yeah, yeah, just prior. And, oh, and, and okay. I, I was contacted and to get behind this campaign, I thought, great, this would be awesome, you know, get behind it, whatever. Um, and, you know, I was really young and, and so used to this all this media attention and all this crazy hype and everything. And I think I got lost in that quite a bit um, now that I look back on it. And, you know, the, the law that you know, Russia was putting in was the fact that um, they didn't want anyone talking to any of their people about the fact that it's okay to be gay, you know, or, or, you know, transsexual or bi or whatever you identify yourself as. Um, And I guess that caused a lot of uproar and it did 
Um, and, you know, I had a platform. I was coming through the sport. I wanted to – I don't like bullying. I've never been a fan of that, and that's what it felt like. Um, I, I want equality for all. Um, people should not be discriminated against regardless of their, you know, gender, their identity, uh, what they look like, where they come from, colour of their skin, anything. It shouldn't be the case because, you know, it doesn't affect your performance as an athlete. You know, if you're the best and you're, you know, you have a, you know, darker colour skin, you're, you know, you're gay, um, you come from a certain country, doesn't matter, you're number one. You got there regardless of all those things. Um, so I jumped on board because I wanted to, you know, create awareness around it. Um, but, you know, in saying that, I also wish that I did a lot more more research so I could word things better to get the message across because Olympics is, you know, once every four years. Um, sometimes you can make it, sometimes you can't, and it's a big stage. It's a world stage, you know. At the same time, I wanted to do my sport too, so I had to find that line between not – I wouldn't say being an activist. I was just calling things out. Just standing and up for what you believe in, essentially, Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Um, and that's why principle um, six came in. Yeah, right. So then uh, just on the next Olympics, what does that look like? Uh, where is it? I probably should know this, but I've, I've forgotten. <laughs> and uh, are you competing? What's going on there? All right, so qualific- So it's in Beijing, 2022. Beijing. Beijing. Okay. The heart of the, the coronavirus, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, I hope you. I hope you don't perform better in front of crowds because you might not have any. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, exactly. That's the th- that they talk about that. Like, there's there's a bunch of rumors going around. That's one of them. I don't know if it's true or not, but there may not be a crowd, which yeah, right. is unfortunate because that's where they get a lot of revenue and Olympics. Of course, they make a lot of money. They have because they have they're on the world stage. It's like the biggest competition. Um, you know, they yeah. have a lot of media, a lot of sponsors coming on board. Um, you know, people paying a lot of money for tickets to be there. Um, and it's been Beijing, first country ever to host both, you know, summer and uh, winter. Summer and Olympic. Yeah, it would mm. be too. Wow. Mm. Um, so qualifications start on January 1st, uh, which is every World Cup leading up January. to the games. Yep, this January, yeah, okay. uh, which yep. is pretty crazy being Tokyo 2021 as well. Yeah. Um, so the Summer Olympics are pushed to 2021, right? Yep. Is that what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then you've got the qualifications for the winter games in that in that same sort of block it, j- early next year is the idea. Yep. Okay. Which is which is crazy. Um, yep. So, yeah, we'll just kick things off. And, and qualifications, it's a bit gnarly. Like people throw a lot more stuff on the line. Um, so the racing gets more exciting, I guess, um, mm. because, you know, it could be their first or last Olympic Games that they can do because it's every four years. Four years is a long time. Um, it is. So, yeah. you know. So, you'll be I'll, there? At the Games? Well, once qualification sits off, then we have to meet certain targets uh, within your country and also globally. Um, I've yet to look at the qualifications. Um, so, you're out training top. and everything at the moment? Like, what's yeah. the, what, what does COVID look like for you guys? I mean, you've been, uh, you've been wearing a mask the whole time anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, well, you, be having, like, we started, you got all your gear on, so you should be able to do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we started wearing a mask when we were in um, Spain in March when we heard about the virus outbreaks and we were traveling quite a bit. So we were hand sanitizing, wearing masks, um, walking into dinner on tour. So, yeah, I don't know. Like the, 
Team Docs seem okay about it. Same with our CEOs of our organisation. They seem pretty chill about it. Uh, we'll just keep pressing forward and, you know, the whole winter sports team, like we're all training really hard. We're hitting targets. We're actually getting a lot of personal bests in our training, which is, you know, a good reflection of how our team works and then the people that we have around us. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm training twice a day, Monday to Friday, and then doing a morning session on Saturday and then just different things in between like uni work and whatnot. Um, but yeah, like that's just, we keep pushing forward. Uh, for a goal and um yeah it's, it's just weird like it's just a weird it's, time it is a weird time and honestly i think one of the biggest variables that people are struggling with is the ambiguity of like yeah. planning ahead because there's like what the fuck is going on we don't know and having a north like i kind of uh, we're talking throughout the chat here about falling in love with the process and that is like and like that is critical, um, but then it's also I think really important to have a north star as well, right? It's like to have mm. a goal, an objective that you're working towards, kind of gives you a sense of direction, right, and purpose, which we've we've spoken about as well. So for you, you've obviously got the Olympics. Even that has got some, you know, some sort of uncertainty around it. Um, but for sort of the everyday punter, almost it's like, well, fuck, like I don't, you know, a big thing for them might be just, um, I mean, I don't know. Like there's all kinds of examples we could give, but it's hard to plan for stuff. So I hope. I don't know, like where possible, I think it's important to just architect, uh, you know, some sort of, some sort of obje- objective or north star that we're still motivated by and where we still get enjoyment from the process. So, um, you know, again, don't have all the answers, but um, I think the parallel for, you know, you having your sn- uh, snowboarding and having that north star, you love it and you've got a goal, I think that's fantastic. And then it's really important for us all to have our own, um, whatever that looks like. Would you agree? And have different plans, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, I agree totally and, and also have different plans, like have, you know, prepare for the very best outcome and prepare for the very worst outcome. Like mm. for me, like I I'm training my ass off, I'm getting the results that I above the results that I want, which is awesome. Um, and you know, staying flexible and, and you know, fluid with what you're doing is really important. Adapting is really important. Um and, you know, working towards the fact that we're going to kick off the tour in December, which might not happen, but I'm still working towards that goal. On, you know, on the side, I'm working on a uni degree, you know, talking to different people, learning from them about different things. Like I'm growing a bigger interest in buying and selling shares, which is a great passive income um, when, when you know your stuff. Um, you know, so like if if for whatever reason that we don't have a tour and, and Beijing, Beijing is cancelled, you know, I'll just complete my degree and do something else, which is not, you know, what I want to do, but that's like the worst case. Like, Yeah, exactly. You know? And you keep in shape and you enjoy the yep. process throughout. Like it's not it's not all doom and gloom, right? No, not always. Mm. But, but I am. I have to admit that I am more, um, a, a little bit better set up than what I've seen around. Yeah, you of know, course. Like, yeah, sure. Um, I'm happy that I had a lot of prize money come in from yeah. the podiums, but that, that came with a lot of work. And for me, like oh, income no comes doubt. in at different times. Like I go to work every day, which is my training. I don't get paid for it. I have to motivate myself to go there. Uh, and then I have yeah, right. you know, different sponsors coming in to do campaigns and then be nothing for a couple of months and then whatever. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a supportive family around me and, and put a roof around my, over my head. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, look, uh, amb- ambiguity around us, sure, but at the same time um, still some interesting and exciting times ahead for us all and obviously for you, Bal, with the Olympics and um, I imagine there's more World Cups coming up as well um, that you'll be a part of. But just looking back on the career you've been able to carve out so far, has there been any particular highlights that have stood out for you? 
So any highlights? Um, I think highlight was, well, from this injury was, I guess, seeing what I've come, like, come from, from depression, anxiety, the, the path I've taken and what it's turned me into and the strength I've gotten from that depression and anxiety has reflected in my rehab. And then what I've learned from my rehab is reflected in my results. Um, so being able to battle on and, and knowing that I can battle on, um, good things will come if you're patient and you work hard for it. So for me, that's something that's just been amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. Using those hard times as like a silver lining to literally build your resilience to then apply to other areas of your life when they need it. Mm, yeah, exactly yeah. right. I love it. I love it a lot. It's probably a good place to finish as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> really, pl- I can apply that to all areas of life, everyone listening. So, Bell, I appreciate you carving out the time to chat with me. You know, I learned heaps. I really want to get into snowboarding again. I reckon I'm going to not piss my pants next time I do it. Um, Is that it all na- like- nappies as well if you need those? I, I, look, I, I reckon I might actually, to yeah. be honest. So, um, I'll hit you up privately off air and <laughs> uh, confirm that. But I reckon it's a high chance I might need them. Um but for you, I wish you all the very best. I'll be following on, that's for sure. If they do open up tickets <laughs> into Beijing, I don't know, Mike, I'd love to get I'd love to get involved in the Winter Olympics. It's always been really, really interesting to watch. So and like I said a few times throughout, your story I find really interesting and inspiring. Um I think anyone listening can um, take some value from it. So it's been Thank fun. You. I'm sure we'll stay connected. And thanks, quick shout out to, to Brenny for connecting um the two of us. So uh, he'd be <laughs> filthy if I don't give him a shout out. <laughs> cheers Brenny yeah <laughs> thanks again Belle no worries cheers thank you thanks again for listening to this episode if you did enjoy it if you got some sort of value from the episode please do us a favour and subscribe to the channel we've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family it all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research so please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode